Well, hello and welcome to the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name is Neville Bounds and this is episode 425. Uh, in this week's show, a punch up at Air France, a cracked Dreamliner window and Ryanair reports record passenger numbers in August. Uh, also, we'll be talking about the upcoming interview with Chris Burwell and Carlos and I are off to Jersey next week for their international air display. Joining me this week across in the Plain Talking UK Master Suite studio <laughs> is Matt Smith. Oh, honestly, Carlos calls it that. I don't know what I don't even know what a Master Suite studio is, but uh, no, yeah, apparently I'm in it. <laughs> I, I just use that terminology because that's what he says. <laughs> that's what he yeah. says. Yeah, absolutely. And our yeah. our Lord and Master is not here today. So uh, yes, we are. No, he's on his holes, isn't he? In the yeah. North Norfolk somewhere. I know. It's a gen I mean, it's one of my favourite places to go. Actually, it's such a lovely mm. part of the world. And uh, living here, we don't we don't like go to it much because because of that for some reason. So uh, it's yeah. largely unspoilt as well, isn't it? It's, yeah, it it's is. a very nice part of the country. Yeah. Mm. I've got I've got a I've got a broads holiday coming up very shortly, and I'm very very excited about that. We've got a little uh, two bedroom boat that we've hired, like one of these little broad cruisers things, for nearly two weeks, and I, I literally can't wait. It's going to be so much oh, fun. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Oh, that's very nice indeed. So, what have you been up to this week, uh, Matt? Uh, not a lot really. Sort of come back from. Uh, well, I think it was back Friday, wasn't I? Um, having had a little week away in the caravan. That was quite nice mm. very busy uh, weekend on the radio doing a couple of outside broadcasts and lots of, sort of studio based activities over in disc sorting that all out but yeah and then back to work for a rest uh, yes. <laughs> which was nice what about you what you've been up to uh, well we had the bank holiday of course on the monday yes. this week didn't we um so we got together with my grandson and my son and his fiance that was very nice indeed and then on wednesday uh, sorry tuesday mrs nev and i went to a wildlife park in hertfordshire Ooh. which was very good from the animal point of view but i'd forgotten how loud young children can be ah right um, yes <laughs> and especially the get, excited ones <laughs> when you get to a certain age and your children have grown up and right. kind of moved yeah. on a bit yeah. it's a, a bit of a shock well um, what not what even mind you i mean grandchildren can be noisy of occasions i suppose um, yes Yes, but uh, little Finley's not quite two yet. So right, he's at the manageable stage. <laughs> he's at the manageable so. stage. So uh, no, it was uh, it was good though. Very nice to get out and about. But uh, likewise, I came back to work for a rest. <laughs> quite, yeah. No, I could imagine. So was it just you and Mrs. Nev, or did you take it like was, sort of grandkids no, just, and just, all that? Kind just of, yeah. two of us. Uh, so uh, yeah, and awesome. Oh, Top nosh was had there as well. Oh really? Chicken bites and fries, and they were to die for. Oh really? <laughs> great job of those i must say i was very pleased well, that's unexpected. I, I think i overdid it with the caramel ice cream though because i think i must have uh, had a bit of a sugar rush during the afternoon <laughs> bouncing off the walls yeah no yes, trouble at all was, yeah absolutely. oh well that's it any highlights in terms of the animals anything unusual there um well they've they've got a, a really good selection of well everything really from reptiles through to tigers um gosh what else um yeah, uh, birds, everything. Wow. Okay. Think of. And uh, really well run as well. Actually, very very nice place. It's just off just off the M25 at Broxbourne. Gosh, so, had no I had no idea what that is. There. So uh, yeah, so near near Enfield. That's Lovely. Uh, of the woods. Oh, so, yeah, what fun. Nice. Yeah, yeah, very good. 
Um, so, uh, yeah. So, once again, thanks to everybody for joining us in the chat room. Uh, we've got in the chat room that I can see at the moment. We've got Dirk S. Tanya's there. Mazuz. Hello, Mazuz. Uh, Bill's in there. Jonathan Warner. Richard Adams. Fellow called Carlos Stebbings. I've heard of him. Need to uh, put the... Uh, blue spanner of death on him <laughs> um, can you put a blue spanner on a blue spanner i don't I'd, know well, i'm, I'm yeah. gonna find out gonna find out in a minute, during yes. the course of this show yeah um who else there masha's in there hello masha screaming pizza is in there oh hello Jacob is in there as well um so uh, yeah thank you to one and all for joining us that's uh, absolutely fantastic indeed so, yes good house a good full um, house it is. Well, we've been uh, handing out some, some gifts in the last couple of days. We have. Matt, and uh, we don't often, we're never quite sure whether these gifts actually make it to their intended addressee. But I'm pleased to say that this one has. <laughs> uh, it's a 747 uh, fuselage skin tag, which we sent to Dirk S., he seems very pleased. And he? there he is. <laughs> He's happy with that. He is happy with that, absolutely. We're happy with that, that it yeah, arrived. Very much so. Uh, yeah. We also heard from Grant McCarran as well. Um, yes. His one arrived in Australia as well, didn't I it? I think his beat Dirk's, actually. Well, I was going to say, it actually got to Australia quicker than we got to Germany. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, absolutely. I don't know what, what story that tells. What facility yes. we use for that. Oh, but, Dirk says uh, he is very pleased in capital letters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank That's you what we much. like to hear. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, you, you mentioned earlier on we've got some a couple of interesting pro projects in the uh, pipework now, and you were out filming last week. Yes, I was, yes. So last week, um, Nick and I were out in Wiltshire, just near Bath, uh, talking to... A fellow called Chris Burwell who's written this excellent book called Nine Lives and it's about Chris's time in the military uh, as a Cold War Harrier pilot um, this has uh, been published by Grub Street Publishing our chums there uh, and they sent me a letter to say we think you should go and interview Chris so we did <laughs> or rather Nick did and I took recording gear yeah so we have got uh, probably a five-part series coming up of the life and times of Chris Burwell in the military and as always absolutely fascinating to I listen bet. to these ex-military folks uh, and their tales and, and the things that they've done in the past really really interesting indeed and uh, <clears throat> as I've just saying before the show started it seems that the in the military Everybody seems to know each other. It doesn't matter <laughs> when they were in, you know, in active service yeah. or, or whatever. Um, and a number of people that Chris knew, um, Nick had flown with previously as wow. well. Wow. Wow. So, it's a, yeah. a surprisingly small pool of, of, of people, as you say, sort of know each other. It is surprising. Um, Indeed. So, uh, so, so I'm just uh, in the process of doing some editing there. I think we're going to probably... Um, We'll see how we go. We, we might play the first part of it next week, actually. Oh, I say. Oh, really? If we're feeling okay. bold. If we're feeling bold and brave. Um, okay. And these, these episodes will be about 15 minutes each, something like that. Oh, great. So, uh, so yeah, so that's coming That's coming up in the next couple of weeks or so, possibly as soon as next week, as Nev was saying. So very much looking forward to sharing that with us. Now, also, on the Friday, uh, you you, uh, you were representing uh, PTUK at yeah, another it was, it was sadder very, event this it time. It was a very sad occasion, I've got to say. And this was the, the funeral and the celebration of life of Ivan McDonald and um, 
Nick and I went to Ivor's funeral, met his family there, and um, they were very grateful the fact that we'd, we'd gone all the way there because it, it was quite a long, long slog for both of us. But we're happy to have been there, and it was a lovely day actually. And you can see the grounds of the crematorium there, absolutely beautiful. Um, and um, I think with these sorts of things, you you get to know a lot about the, the, the people that you that you think that you've known for so many years and it was really interesting that Kirsty his wife said to me and to Nick that she didn't realize that he was into aviation to the extent that he was and was in the chat rooms with the airline pilot guy show and our show and sending in contributions all the time um, he, she didn't realise he did that. He almost lived a, a separate second life, uh, really. Um, and um, it was absolutely beautiful. It was a lovely service. And then we went um, about 10 miles down the road to uh, this venue here. Beautiful venue, isn't it? What a lovely so, building. It was beautiful. Nice food. Nice folks there. Got to talk to his family. And what we did learn was that Kirsty, his wife, is actually about a 30-hour PPL holder. No! Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she did her private pilot's licence back in the day. Um, and she's also responsible for writing off an aircraft as well. Which, oh! Uh, she, <laughs> we did give her a bit of stick about, but actually, at the appropriate time, not now, obviously. No. But so at some point, uh, we'll do an interview with Kirsty, mm. who can tell us all about Ivor's life, which will be really interesting. Absolutely. But also, we'll hear about her flying experiences as well. Absolutely. Um, I, 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 I want to hear. I want to hear more about that. I, I, you know, yeah. this is sort of. I know we shouldn't be excited about an aircraft being written off, no, but, but th these I, things just sort of <laughs> come out of the blue. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, um, but uh, no, really, really interesting. And I think that, um, yeah, it was, it was a very sad occasion. Yeah. But of course, with all these things, it's a celebration of someone's life yeah. as well. And of course, Ivor was, was taken far too soon. It was terribly sudden and very shocking for everybody. Yeah. We had a good chat with his son, his daughter-in-law. Uh, at least he got to see his son's wedding uh, back in april of this year as well um and we talked to a couple of other uh, folks there who were pilots um for jet two on 737 oh wow uh, uh, stansted and manchester as well so it was great seeing those folks as well and learning a little bit more about Ivor's life so Wonderful. that was um that was really really uh, touching and uh beautifully organized as well so, sounds sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, as these things go, as you say, they're, they're never fun. These things, but it sounds like it was a great a great opportunity to chat and catch up with a few people. It was, and uh, well, I was so pleased that both Nick and I were able to go. And Kirsty was very grateful as well. And uh, she has said to us that she really wants to keep in contact with all of the aviation community as well, uh, because she you know she needs something to fill her life with absolutely as well of course so and this is obviously very sudden and very soon yeah. so but at the appropriate time we'll we'll have a chat with Kirsty absolutely, and we'll yeah. uh, we'll do an interview and with she'll be her. she'll be very much more than welcome into the family won't she bless her certainly yeah Indeed. so we're looking forward to that so, Indeed. Uh, right yeah, so it, was, it was a it was a nice uh, a nice service and a nice day yeah indeed should we do, talking of aviation, should we, uh, should we take a look Let's at some stories? Let's do that, shall we? <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. I'll press this button here and something will happen, hopefully. Captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts.
Well, this is an extraordinary story. It brings a whole new meaning to the term fighter pilots. Um, uh, this is on the latribune.fr, uh, newyorktimes.com, euronews.com, bbc.com and bea.aero. It says that Air France pilots are under scrutiny after a series of incidents that have raised concerns over safety protocols on flights operated by the French flagship carrier. According to the French newspaper La Tribune, uh, the captain and first officer of an A320 had a dispute shortly after takeoff and grabbed each other by their collars after one apparently hit the other. The cabin crew on the flight from Geneva to Paris intervened and one crew member spent the rest of the flight in the cockpit with the pilots, the newspaper added. Air France has confirmed that the plane continued and landed safely after the pilots exchanged inappropriate gestures. Uh, the reports come just days after an investigation by France's Air Investigation Agency, the BEA, that found that Air France pilots lacked rigour in respecting procedures during safety incidents. The comments came from the final report on Air France flight in December 2020 that suffered a fuel leak. Uh, the crew were criticised for not cutting power to the engine or landing as soon as possible, as required by safety protocols. Uh, the, plane landed, uh, the plane diverted and landed safely in Chad, but the BEA report added that the pilots avoided a fire by chance. Uh, the report mentioned three other incidents at Air France from 2017 to 2022, where pilot instinct led to a less safe outcome than if they had followed strict uh, safety procedures laid out by the company. It also highlighted what is called a culture, culture favourable to this type of deviation, pointing to some language in the Air France pilot handbook, suggesting that a substantial degree of autonomy when it comes to following safety procedures. Air France should put compliance with procedures back at the centre of the company's safety culture, the report concluded. Gosh, that's quite a moment, isn't it? Um, I mean, should we begin with that? I, I mean, I, <laughs> I genuinely, I literally don't know. I mean, it's uh, it, it worries me that pilots are sort of squaring up to each other. That's not something I yes, would sort of expect. Yes, here's another uh, uh, top tip from your <laughs> uncle Nev. Uh, don't don't have a fight in the cockpit. No, please. no. I mean, it makes um, the other passengers nervous for for what for want of a better word. And <laughs> it's interesting that the uh, the cabin crew had to intervene and, and they had to come and sit yeah. in the cockpit at one point. So um, the thing is with um, the reason aviation is as safe as it is, is because all airlines operate to standard operating procedures. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's anything outside of that, then there are emergency drills and all the rest of it. Um, of course, there is a level of discretion, especially yeah. if you think of what happened with Qantas QF32, where they had an uncontained engine failure. And that is an example of where sort of pilot deviation from the manual mm. was necessary and actually instinct did assist the crew in operating in, in emergency situations. Well, you can say um, that about the whole Sully thing as well, can't you? I mean, yeah, exactly. Thing. I like, mean, they had to yeah. sort of busk it a little bit because yeah. uh, some of this stuff's not in the manual. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't remember reading anything in any operational manual uh, that deals with what happens if there's the fight in the cockpit so, between you and your flying colleague. I mean, uh, part, part of me, I mean, bearing in mind, obviously, I assume this all started on the ground. 
if you see what I mean, based well, on like, or were they in the air? Yeah. I'm not really uh, sure, I'm but not sure it I did. mean, part of yeah. me, part of me would like to think that if there was such an extreme expression of personal views, he says, choosing his words very carefully, uh, is that I guess one criticised the other one's baguettes baking skills. That's very serious. Uh, there, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was. I'd sort of kind of like to think that obviously if there if if it was very clear that the pilot and the co-pilot weren't going to get on that you would essentially delay that flight for you know treat it like one of them hadn't turned up and get someone else in if they're not going to get on because you could argue that 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 kind of um anger and frustration in the cockpit is not a good is not good no and I think it's all about being professional isn't it yeah and we've all done you know we've all worked with colleagues i mean you have and i yeah. have on live events um well, you where know, you want to ring the their necks we're um, want to ring their necks by the end yeah of the day. but <laughs> for the sake of the show yeah. you know we, we are professional and we do the job now we might have a discussion with them afterwards yes. about <laughs> things that didn't go as well as they yeah. should or the producer may be uh, um, wagging his or her finger indeed. um but and also, obviously, we're not in safety critical situations no, no, usually either. Uh, but nonetheless, it's about being professional, yeah. and that's that's the start and end of it yeah. for me. Um, so, but there's there is there has been previous incidents, not of that seriousness, mm. but serious level, but certainly where there have been uh, departures from standard operating procedures, uh, which have led to. Um, you know, a difference of opinion in the cockpit and subsequent action as well. Also, uh, you mentioned, you touched on it there, Nev, but also, I mean, my hats off to the cabin crew. I mean, I bet they didn't think for one moment that they'd be diffusing and, uh, you know, de-escalating uh, you know, some grief in the cockpit. Well, I mean, they're used to dealing happen? with passengers. So, <laughs> but we've got to remember that obviously access to the flight deck is highly restricted. Yeah. So um, did one of the pilots... Uh, get on the interphone to one of the cabin crew to say, uh, folks, could you, um, could you, you mind popping in for a second? Yes. We've got a slight issue to deal with. Yeah. Um, or, well, so. or perhaps they were on the ground and it was sort of all a bit animated before taking yeah. off. I, I think there's there's more to come from this story, obviously with the official report. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, there, there's stuff going on there that just really yeah. hadn't. Some you know, stuff doesn't add up there yet, does it? But as I say, on. more details will come, I'm sure, in in the giving weeks. Uh, yeah. Right, we'll move on to the next story then, if we may, Nev. And we're talking Dreamliners this time, and a story that doesn't fill me with a great deal of joy. I have to be honest with you. Uh, it's coming from Mental Pilot, AV Herald, and Aerotech. Time.aero. Uh, those are our sources for this. And it's the Dreamliner window that cracks mid-flight on its way to New York. So uh, an LOT Polish Boeing 787 Dreamliner aircraft was en route to New York's John F. Kennedy Airport from Warsaw Air Chopin. Uh, is it Chopin? Chopin, yes. Chopin as Airport, in the, uh, as in the composer, composer. yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, when one of its passenger windows sustained cracks, cruising at 40,000 feet feet uh, the cabin crew notice uh, notified the pilots immediately and the flight crew initiated a descent to 10,000 feet reaching 10,000 feet about 15 minutes later and continued to New York for a safe landing following the incident uh, LOT Polish Airlines uh, confirmed that the damage to the 787 window did not compromise the aircraft's pressurization uh, lot also confirmed that the damage was to the electro photochromaic 
layer layer of the window only the aircraft the airline decided to fly the aircraft back to poland with the window in it in this condition to repair it there um now of course i suppose yeah so the, so what they're referring to is that the bit where that they can electronically um fade it yes, or they, like... they can dim the uh, the window effectively indeed um, and of course because the 787 uh, is of a composite carbon fiber structure yeah this is why they can have bigger windows in there as well which is, right. is a great from a passenger experience point of view same on the a350 as well it, it's really nice but you know things things can go wrong but i've got to say straight off that this is not a um major safety issue i don't yeah. think from what i can see from the story um yeah. It's not as though uh, the cabin was losing pressurization because there was a hole in the window. It's not. It wasn't that layer that was affected. But I think the sensible thing was to, um, you know, well, absolutely. I mean, and of course, you know, yeah. they're not the they're not the experts on these things, are they? Isn't it? So they've done they follow procedure in stark contrast to the previous story we were talking about. They've followed procedure, as you say. They've dropped down to ten thousand feet, and then when they got there, the experts have said, "Oh yeah, you don't need to worry about that. that's just that's just the electro you know the electronic layer, if you like, that dims the window." And it's like even me as a nervous flyer, when they tell me that, I'll be like, "Oh right, okay, cool." You know, because you once you know what it is, but I, you know, unless you knew what you were looking for, I guess you would. Uh, even the pilot wouldn't necessarily look at that window and think, mm. "Oh, that's what the problem is." Is it's the? It's a good word, though, isn't it? It's a great word in Scrabble. Is. The yeah. electro <laughs> photochromatic layer, layer. That's a beautiful that's, that's word, a, isn't it? That's a big yeah, word, isn't it? Indeed, um, yeah. It's. Uh, uh, but you know. Um, that's the main thing they you know, got it back on with that. <laughs> uh, john's touched on some of the stuff that you were saying there actually in our, in our notes here is the 787 having uh, big windows compared to most other commercial aircraft although the a220 is pretty close uh, yes. we all know that bigger windows mean bigger blinds and because of the makeup of the 787 fuselage and all that there isn't space for blinds not sure i 100 percent believe that but anyways that's what he's saying <laughs> a solution yeah. is to make the windows dim electronically which is I think, I think that's quite a nice touch as well because it means they can press a button at the front there you haven't got to ask everyone to pop the blinds up for landing and things have you so yes and that is is controlled by the cabin crew as well they can put all the, the um, blinds yeah. up all the blinds down you know so uh, if they want to um, mm. but uh, yeah anyway the main thing is uh, safety was not compromised I don't think In, I don't indeed follow the rule book so agreed that's that's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, so the next story is on the uh, aircurrent.com uh, live. Uh, sorry, live and let fly.com and the points guy dot com. Um, it says that Emirates and United are plotting a co-chair agreement. Um, and in a somewhat remarkable turn of events, this is exactly what's going to happen. They're going to launch a code-share partnership. The news, news was reported overnight on Tuesday by industry publication The Air Current, citing people familiar with the plan. Uh, hours later, United sent out invites to members of the media, teasing a September the 14th media event at one of United's hubs. Uh, which is at uh, Dallas International Airport, IAD. Uh, according to the intrigue, the official Twitter accounts of United and Emirates also teased the event, which will feature United CEO Scott Kirby and Emirates President Sir Tim Clark. Uh, with the details of the co-shared yet to be announced, it's all but certain to me that cash and award tickets will be bookable on each other's websites. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because um, they've kind of 
almost been here before, um, where United did have agreements with Emirates in the past. Um, and uh, But then a month later, United severed ties with five carriers which are based in the Middle East, which was Emirates and their sister ride uh, airline Fly Dubai right. as well. Um, going back several years, there was quite a huge battle between the big three US carriers and the big three Gulf carriers regarding the open skies policy between the two regions as well. Uh, at the core of the dispute were the fifth freedom rights, which is traffic rights granted to carriers that allow them to fly from the US or any other country with an in intermediate stop in a second country before flying to their home country. Uh, in Emirates' case, it flies from New York's JFK to Milan's Malpensa Airport and from Newark to Athens. Um, but it wasn't just Emirates, though. Both Qatar and Etihad also had their fair share of issues in the US. Um, Qatar flew the A380 on their inaugural flight to Atlanta in 2016, but uh, they were forced to park at a remote stand and deplane and board via mobile steps as accommodations could not be made for the aircraft at the one stand that could accommodate the A380. Um, the feud between Delta, whose aircraft were on, set on stand at the time, and Qatar went quite public. I, um, do you know, I think I remember that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's quite interesting, isn't it? But I think th those sort of co-chair agreements are quite important, especially from, um, you know, the Middle East to the, to the US. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of quite a strategic, important um, thing, isn't it? You know? <laughs> I like that. Richard Adams is saying in the, in the chat room, UAE, United and Emirates. Now, yeah. forgive yeah. my naivety here, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't put, um, I, I personally would struggle to put United and Emirates in the same category in terms of their customer service model. Hmm. <laughs> Um, well, that that's a fair point, uh, and you've only got to listen to Brian Coleman's yeah. uh, comments from time to time about yeah. United um, to see that that's, that is, might be a reasonable comment to make. Um, but again, it's all about connectivity, isn't it? You know, that that both both airlines need access to each other's continents, and this is you know obviously code share agreements and points sharing and all the rest of it hmm. is, is a good way to do it so. I, I, I guess what I, I guess what i'm saying is if i you know i booked to fly on that route and it turned out that it was a united that was servicing it rather than emirates i might be a bit disappointed oh is... i see what you mean yes well you know <laughs> you know perhaps i'm perhaps doing to be on one of their lovely 757s oh that you like great so yeah that's that's fabulous news <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, right, uh, we'll move on to the next story. And I believe, uh, if I can find it, I think we've got this one with a certain Armando. We so have, yes. uh, take it away, Armando. This next commercial story is a bit of a sad one. It's from airwaysmagazine.com. ExpressJet Airlines, the parent company of fairly new low-cost regional airline, AHA, has filed for bankruptcy and ceased all operations. The airline cited the difficulty in sourcing aircraft, lower revenues due to COVID-19, and rising costs as the three main reasons for the bankruptcy. This airline found that in 1987, ExpressJet was once a leading regional titan, had previously operated contract codeshare flights 
under American Eagle, Delta Connection, and most recently, the United Express brands. Now, after losing its contract with United uh, to operate these United Express flights, the airline created AHA, uh, which uh, began operations on September 30th, 2021. The airline's chairman and chief executive officer uh, said that a combination of conditions led us to this decision, despite the valiant efforts of our employees and to overcome challenges, despite, despite great support by our cities and airports, especially the Reno, Tahoe uh, and community there, we arrived at a point where termination of operations was in the best interest of our stakeholders. Now, at its peak, uh, ExpressJet operated almost 450 aircraft. It had been a rising star amongst uh, regional airlines in the U.S. Of course, in July 2020, due to the pandemic, United Airlines decided to end its contract with ExpressJet and uh, continue operations instead with Commuter, uh, which is another United Express affiliate. Now, ExpressJet announced that it would operate its last flight on behalf of United Express on September 30th, 2020, and then subsequently closed its maintenance, base, maintenance bases at Chicago O'Hare and Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. Now, the shutdown of ExpressJet left approximately 3,000 employees without jobs. Uh, that was a pretty significant casualty of, of the pandemic uh, and its effect on the aviation industry. Now, almost exactly a year after ceasing operations under that United Express brand, uh, ExpressJet launched the AHA brand, which stands for Air Hotel Adventure, which was a creative attempt at sort of reviving its operation with a more modern spin. Now, the airline operated three ERJ-145 aircraft from the Reno-Tahoe International Airport to 11 destinations in the uh, northwest region of the U.S. Uh, just three weeks ago, the airline reported a record 100% completion rate of its, flight, its flights in July, but the conditions of the avi aviation industry just are, are too uh, fierce for the airline to continue its operations. So, as, uh, as always... Uh, you know, we hear the airlines coming out of the pandemic. We hear some airlines are forming up, some airlines are booming. But uh, like any like any other industry, these uh, there are some casualties, and this uh, this is an unfortunate one. Of course, our our hearts go out to all of the employees from uh, from ExpressJet and and Aha, and, and wish them the best. It's always so sad, isn't it, when an, when an airline goes under. There's never, you know, I mean, good yeah. reasons for it. I completely, you know, get where Armando's coming from with this. And, you know, the decisions has been made that that's what they've got to do. But it's just so sad, isn't it? I think the thing is that with any kind of operation, you, you've, th those overheads yeah. are what they are. Yeah. You know, fuel, maintenance, hangar space, landing fees, crew fees, uh, salaries, flight tech salaries, uh, everything. And you've got to have the passengers that are prepared to pay the money to, to, to yeah. use that route. Um, and yet sometimes, you know, the, the route can be fully utilised yeah. and the airline can still not still make, not money make enough money. And, yeah. and again, because we're seeing now, of course, high fuel costs uh, yeah. and everything else, uh, even though they may have hedged the fuel you know, up to 12 months ago, possibly. But no, it's a real. Uh, it's it's tough. It's really tough out there, and it wouldn't surprise me if if there are more regional failures. Yeah. Sadly, uh, be, you know. 
yeah, for, sort of the for, for reasons of overhead and you know lack of profitability. Indeed, as you say, and I mean, uh, you know, the as you mentioned there, Nev. I mean, the story about the fuel situation is, uh, you know, we haven't heard the end of that yet. I mean, we've only here in the UK, for example. Uh, if you don't live in the UK, you might not be aware, but we have this sort of like spending cap that's been on our our energy providers, if you like, and they they've just increased that cap twice now, haven't they? I think it went first time it went up by fifty percent, and now it's gone up by a further eight. 80%, um, you know, and that will be exactly the same, presumably, as you say, they've hedged, no doubt, for so many months, mm. or maybe maybe even up to 12 months, as you say, um, but that, you know, those numbers are, you know, the the 40% rise and the further 80% rise, so we're looking at a 120% cost rise in, you know, Avgas, potentially, aren't we? Yeah, and we, I mean... I pass, perhaps the average passenger doesn't think about how much it costs yeah. to actually run their line. As I mentioned, yeah. all those, you know, the ground handling, the the, the yeah. crew training, the, the catering, uh, the diversions, maintenance, and, and, and an aircraft down because there's a fault with it and they can't operate it. All these sorts of things, you know, the overheads associated yeah. with any kind of operation are just eye-watering yeah. and um yeah it's it's very sad when this happens of course it really is it is it is unfortunately okay we'll move on to the uh, next story well uh, at the <laughs> other end of the spectrum the Ryanair <laughs> from what boys and girls seem yeah. to be doing quite well don't they? indeed yeah they're doing all right aren't they so this is coming from businessplus.ie that's our source for this particular one and the headline is Ryanair carries a record 16.9 million passengers in August Ryanair carried a record 16.9 million passengers in August an increase of 52% from the 11.1 million that flew with the, with the Irish airline a year ago when some Covid restrictions were still in place. Ryanair operated over 92,800 flights last month at an average load factor of 96%. Let's just digest that for a moment, shall we? <laughs> yes. 96%. Mm. Gosh. Compared to uh, August 2021 where the flights were just 82% full on average, which, let's be honest, is still not a bad load factor given no, the time that we were I in. I think they, they could chalk that up as a win. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the company carried 2 million more passengers than in August 2019. That's pre-COVID. And last week flew an average of around 3,000 flights per day, according to the European Air Traffic Control Agency, Eurocontrol. The number of people flying with the budget carrier on a monthly basis has risen every month since March when passenger numbers were hit by the war in Ukraine uh, from 11.2 million guests at a load factor of 87% in March. Traffic numbers increased month on month to 16.8 million at 96% in July when the airline uh, was adding 100,000 guests in August. Uh, I've got a couple, couple of questions there straight away. <laughs> Go on, far away. Have you ever heard uh, the Ryanair CEO or anybody at Ryanair refer to their passengers as guests? As guests. I knew you were going to pick up on that. I knew you were going to pick up on that. That is, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's an unusual choice of words, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, trying to make it sound like, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, we, we, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Because it's like, weirdly, Ryanair are one of the few people who, or one of the few outfits that have had, I think I'm fair in saying, the least amount of impact in what's been going on 
outside, you know, like in terms of flight cancellations and stuff yeah, like that, because they do seem to have retained their staff. You know, they, they, they do come in for a lot of stick regarding yeah. their regional operations and their definition of what a London airport is, or <laughs> what a Frankfurt airport yes, is, yes. or, or where, whatever it is. But actually, by doing that, of course, they're uh, because they're using these regional hubs or these regional yeah. airports, they are not subjected to the, the, the big costs that the, um, the major hub airports yeah. will be uh, forcing on them. So although the, all of the airports have been in the same position, yeah. uh, the, the overhead associated with the operation is a lot less because they've chosen to fly out of non well how can i describe non main airports i suppose indeed yeah well and and, you know really really, let's be honest i mean stansted is probably one of their most major hubs that they're flying out of on a regular basis certainly stansted and and dublin and dublin yeah absolutely was the other one i was going to mention there and of course the the one thing that's quite unique about the ryanair model is the fact that they also own the company responsible for their own handling Mm. and that i think is a factor on on why most of the airports are able to keep you know sort of you know keep keep things ticking over because you know they're look they're they're sort of looking after everything more or less in house you know and they did furlough most of their staff rather than lay them off obviously during covid times and things like mm. that and it's uh, as dare i say it they do seem to have done something right here. No, I, 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 I do not criticise them at all for yeah. their operation. I mean, you still wouldn't fly with them, obviously, Nev. I mean, let's not no, be silly. No, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a personal opinion and not necessarily the opinion of the podcast. No, um, but, but I, I just think that their, their model, uh, yeah. especially when times are tough, as yeah. they have been, this does seem to have really seems to work uh, worked yeah. for them and if you think about the other major airlines you know the, the big ones klm yeah. air france british airways um lufthansa and others and alitalia as it was they've had a lot of layoffs and furloughs whereas uh ryanair have been less affected by this I think. yeah indeed Indeed, it's uh, and and uh, i mean because they've been making amusing tweets and stuff haven't they about uh, uh sort of you know, jokes about other airlines' expense, haven't they? About mm. things like cancellations and stuff like that. And like, oh, yeah. if you're still wanting to go to Frankfurt, uh, we have some seats available. That sort of thing. Yes. You know, it's uh, yeah. they don't miss a trick. Their marketing department. No, I do cannot criticise their marketing. <laughs> they don't care what that. They no. don't care who they upset either. I think. No, but no, uh, there we go. Now this is a, a really sad story coming up. Um, it's, it's such a shame, and uh, it was uh, very kindly sent to me mm. by uh, Alan Loveday, yep. who's down in Helston in Cornwall and subsequently by Richard Adams as well uh, this is on the cornwalllive.com and also on the bbcnews.com uh, and it says that a much loved aviation heritage centre is being forced to close after Cornwall Council decided not to renew its lease and told it to vacate its home by oh, the no. end of March Cornwall Aviation Heritage Centre, which is the CAHC, said that the council's decision means it will have to close forever, while the centre, which is home to several aircraft and operates as a tourist attraction as well as an educational centre, is currently located on land at Cornwall's airport in Newquay and has been running for several of uh, seven years and is staffed by dedicated and passionate, passionate, passionate volunteers who have helped to create an award-winning attraction. However, the centre has now announced that it will have to close for good as Cornwall Council has decided not to lease it the property any longer and given it a deadline to vacate the site by March 
2023 after providing an extra 12 months to allow it to try and find another home. Uh, the centre highlighted that beyond tourism, CAHC provides huge resources, facilities and opportunities for STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and maths, aerospace education bodies of all kinds. Uh, primary and secondary schools visit regularly, local college, aerospace engineering and travel industry students train with CAHC aircraft, ranging from jet trainers to in-flight refuelling tankers and tourism and leisure cabin crew courses are conducted on board real airliners. Uh, the RAF, Royal Navy and British Army also come to CAHC annually to benefit from unique access to aircraft for training activities that are not available anywhere else. Uh, European Air Transport Command brings up to 120 personnel from nine NATO participating nations to utilise the unique range of facilities for aircraft recovery training that are made available by CAHC at no cost to the UK taxpayer. Um, a mm. quote from the, uh, the centre itself uh, says that we've given the council nine proposals and asked them for the opportunity to sit down around the table to talk about this and we've been refused at every single juncture. Uh, we are going to have to close and scrap half the aircraft, if not more. Uh, the council owns 655 acres of land on this site. We only need six to ten acres of that and that is all we need. Uh, we are not asking for a penny from them, but are happy to pay rent. It will not cost Cornwall Council a single penny for us to be here. And as a reply to that, uh, the council is quoting is saying that the council is reviewing the use of the land at the airport site to ensure that taxpayer is getting the maximum value for money from it and to increase the economic benefit and professional employment opportunities for Cornwall. Uh, Cornwall Council and Cornwall Airport Newquay are not responsible for the operation of a private business and securing a site on which to operate is the responsibility of the management of the centre. Cornwall Council has made it clear to CAHC that it will consider assisting them to move to a new location when a credible, costed and deliverable proposal has been developed. However, this does remain the responsibility of the centre. Well, that may be the case, but aircraft heritage really important in this country agreed i think it i think it is a vital part of our history especially as this is not just about aircraft heritage this is actually offering training facilities um to uh well 120 personnel exactly. from nine nato participating countries uh, to use the range of aircraft um, recovery training that are made available there as it says um, I mean, talk about short-sightedness. I, I, I really don't understand. And also, I really there's, don't understand. there's been a strong um, argument, you know, as I say, so John's very kindly given us the, the quotes from both sides there, you know, trying to give mm. a fair and balanced opinion. And they've made it clear that, you know, it's a very large site that the council have, and they only need a very small part of it, you know, six to eight acres um, of land. And they're also willing to pay rent. I mean, I... I I'd, I'd be intrigued to know what their plans are for the site. I mean, that perhaps that's perhaps that's something that we're missing in terms of of data, if you like, is is what their plans are for that site, which is why they're not willing to 
go down that route because it it does strike me as an unusual decision for a council to make especially when it is something that is contributing towards the tourist tourism industry and things like that i i i wonder if we're you know we're missing a piece of the jigsaw puzzle here well it, it, again this is all, these people are volunteers that that, that run yeah. it as well so obviously there i'm presuming there, there's some staff cost associated with it. many of them are volunteers mm. Um, to actually create this attraction in, in the first place. And it's been there for seven years. Um, yeah. So it, it's a, well, I, I mean, I hope there's some kind of reprieve for it or they can find a new Absolutely. home. Absolutely. But, but or that the council have a second thought and actually allow them to stay. Um, I mean, this is the bit that's odd. This is the bit that's odd for me is like, you know, the, the, the council are willing to help them pay the moving costs to go to a new site so as i say it does does make me think that there is a, a plan afoot that means that they can't leave them with a six to eight you know acre site yeah um, as you said uh, there's almost something missing from this story isn't there yeah there, there, there there's um there, there's the full the full picture has not been painted here mm. Um, but Indeed. whatever the situation, I'm very grateful to Richard and for Alan for sending this to us because, again, mm. regional stuff like this and regional mobility. We've already heard the other yeah. week about uh, Loganairs um, not running their winter services into Newquay as, as well. Um, so, yeah, that, again, connectivity throughout the regions and actually mm. offering this kind of facility I, I think is, is a vital part of it I really do so I wonder if we could just pop a couple of the, the comments up um, that are in the chat room there Jonathan Warner's first of all if we may oh yes by means yes um, he's yeah. saying that they have a great collection the local council has completely stitched them up uh, giving them very little time to potentially rehome the aircraft and they're moving on to Richard Adams obviously these are the views of our our viewers I should say uh, our listeners uh, saying the council is just obsessed with their crazy London new key idea i think uh, very short-sighted and i have to say i kind of agree with that one good news for carlos though yes. uh, might be some aircraft going cheap that carlos may be able to acquire that's always a solution uh, as i say and then richard adams is again saying that brown and envelope springs to mind <laughs> maybe a big building company yeah, yeah. i yeah I, I suspect that may be the way. but again uh we, we, I'm quite sure that the land that they're already on, if that was the case, could easily be, um, you know, repurposed. The plan could, I'm sure, be very easily adjusted to, you know, accommodate these people. Mm. Um, uh, Mark is saying on the WhatsApp, this is so sad. Uh, why is it they just don't care about our history as well? Uh, sorry, it came up on my watch. I do apologise. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this again, the, the, the title of the organisation is Cornwall Aviation Heritage yeah, Centre. Does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> we absolutely must yeah. preserve our aviation I heritage agree. in this country, no matter where it is in the country. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we, we won't have anything to talk about. No, we, we won't, won't have anything for the, uh, the kids to go and see. And, and it's these sorts of things that inspire uh, children from the schools and yeah. colleges to enter into the airline industry later on i'm, I'm absolutely sure of that and mm. i think that um if they start taking these things away then you know that the the industry is going to be the, the poorer for it in the I long agree. term no question about it i absolutely agree well we'll watch this story i think with great interest in the hope that uh, uh 
a compromise can uh, be sorted. I, I just hope we don't have a, a, a sort of another repeat of the Bruntingthorpe no, situation. I think yeah. that would just be absolutely awful. But yep. uh, uh, We'll move on to the next story then. Uh, we're off to airtrafficmanagement.net for this particular story. And the headline is Air Traffic Control Academy opens in Florida. Bartow, Muni- Bartow Municipal, that's easy for me to say, Municipal Airport mm. plans to open a traditional as well as a remote aircraft, uh, air traffic control tower training academy in january 2023 this training center is in is the creation of the washington consulting group uh, provided uh, provides aerospace and air traffic management services uh, wcg is known in the industry as the company that led the development of the air traffic uh, control training program used by the faa today the national shortage of air traffic controllers has been an ongoing problem due to the recent wave of retirements and the lack of training occurring during covid limitations combined with the overall increase in aviation volume currently there are only two main pathways into an air traffic controller career through the federal aviation administration's air traffic controller and control tower operator cto uh, certificate program or by training provided through u.s military services graduates of the academy can be federally certified air traffic controllers upon completion of the 10-month technical program and ready to be employed anywhere in the US. The Academy will enrol 64 students a year at capacity. Bartow Municipal Airport is unique because it is a non-federally controlled tower airport that is locally operated, allowing for private sector air traffic control training to occur. Additionally, the Washington Consulting Group is partnering with Polk County School Systems Workforce Development Programme to establish a long-term apprentice pipeline into the career field. Now, uh, John has actually just added in here that uh, Bartow is next to Lakeland, Florida. It's about halfway between Tampa and Orlando, if you just wanted mm. to sort of try and yeah. locate that tower. So, I mean, this well, that's good, isn't it? Again, it is. getting getting people through the system because of the yeah. air traffic control shortage. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I, may be, I may be speaking out of turn here, but I, I think it sort of echoes a, a bit of a problem we have here in terms of um, staffing issues and air traffic control on that. I... I, I I, I think it's sort of across the industry, isn't it? Where, where yep, it's, uh, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and recruitment is um, is a big thing, um, yeah. and especially with the you know the people that were laid off during the pandemic yeah. uh, as well, uh, either trying to get those folks back or you know some of them may have left the industry entirely um, or retirements and things like that yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely and perhaps they get to that age you know perhaps they're not, not quite at retirement age but they think well actually i don't really want to do another couple of yeah. years of this so i'm going to take early retirement i've done my bit yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely. i've done so, my bit yeah mm. um so the next story is on uh paxx.aero uh and it says that uh easyjet and the leading lounge operator, number one lounges, is uh, teamed up last year to open the new lounge in Gatwick. Uh, the gateway offering a smidgen of EasyJet branding. And EasyJet is happy to sell access to the space for passengers. But unlike other legacy airlines, 
EasyJet does not have a more traditional Eurobiz business class offering. So complimentary lounge access is not typical for any of its passengers. Now, over the next three months, however, EasyJet will trial the uh, bundling of lounge access for its FlexiFare customers. Uh, the FlexiFare option also includes a large cabin bag, a 23 kilo hold bag, free upfront seat, uh, use of the dedicated EasyJet Plus bag drop, fast track security, speedy boarding, free flight and route changes, and an eat, drink, shop voucher. Uh, Ali Gaywood, who's UK country manager for EasyJet, noted that this is just for a trial period. Oh, oh. don't go mad, will you? Um, well, I mean, it looks nice. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm just trying to sort of describe. I mean, does that look like a typical lounge to you? Never it, it, it describe is. it to, uh, yeah, to, to I, the, the audio listeners, really. I think there's some similarity there between lounges that I I may have uh, yeah. know, frequented in the past. Um, but yeah, look, looks very nice, very airy, isn't it? And uh, yeah. yeah, snacks um, available. That's the key. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish you didn't have to pay to go in them, though. Um, that is yeah. the. I mean, the gateway lounge itself is £30 for the first hour and then £10 per hour after that. I mean, it's not, you know, diabolical, but it would no. be nice, wouldn't it, if you didn't have to pay for it? I suppose, again, it's one of those. It's like, I mean, I wouldn't begrudge, you know, for the experience. Does, does that make sense? So, like, if I'm, if I'm mm. going to be spending a reasonable amount of time in the airport before I get on my flight or, or whatever, if that, you know... Uh, maybe not a connecting flight but you know if i've arrived nice and early and i'm through security etc if i'm going to get like a you know an hour and a half to sit in the lounge then i probably wouldn't begrudge paying that 30 pounds just because i can be somewhere you know nice and airy comfortable you know presumably that fee includes a snack or two i mean you could easily yeah. munch through if there's two of you you could easily munch through 60 quid eating and drinking in the airport let's be honest um and Ooh, no guarantee yes. of having a a comfortable space to sit in afterwards uh, as a result of that yes. they do encourage you to move on don't they when you're uh, no, when you're the yeah. the, uh, the you know the the simple you know the normalton side uh, yeah <laughs> just noting in the chat room that neil braden has joined us hello neil hope you are well hello, and uh, nice to see you again mm. uh, you're normally on the golf course uh, usually aren't you somewhere well, at this time uh, of night well you know he's a, <laughs> the, the fella does play a lot of golf so um oh dear. Yes, but, i want uh, i want no, I want to do what he does for a living. <laughs> I know, absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, Indeed. Um, yeah. Well, that's where we come to the end of the commercial section of the show. Um, next is the final part of the interview that Carlos did with uh, Patrick and Linda uh, at Seething. Now, you'll remember that uh, these this intrepid couple uh, took their long easy almost all the way around the world. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, journey they've had. Um, so we started, uh, Carlos started asking him about some of the technical aspect of the aircraft and then he talks to them about some of the special modifications that they had to do to the long easy. Technically wise, a bit of sort of specs about the aircraft, obviously um, the tanks hold how much fuel? 204.5 litres, so it, it's enough for about eight hours endurance. Eight hours, okay. So if the bladder can last that long. <laughs> <laughs> and also um, something else which is different to a lot of the other um, the EZs that are here and, and Dan's as well just over there is that you've got an additional kind of storage uh, device on this aircraft, haven't you? Which, uh, yes, we have these baggage pods which were designed by an American gentleman called 
I, I think Bruce Tift, I may have this incorrect, who used to make propellers and it was a way of transporting propellers to his clients. So one of these baggage pods, as we call them, is the size of a propeller, a two-bladed propeller. And people realised, they, they saw his aircraft, his Long Easy that had these, realised it would be good for baggage. And we decided for our trip, we needed somewhere to store. The inside of the aeroplane was full of kind of safety equipment that we needed for the two of us, but we needed somewhere for our luggage. So we got approval from the LAA to put these on. We were allowed 10 kilos each in each pod, so 22 pounds of weight. And we're quite religious that we don't go over that. And it has to be weighed, obviously. Linda made some conformal bags. So a, a larger one which goes in the front and a little one that goes in the back. Well, the little ones we put the covers in because we, we take um, winglet covers, canard covers and main fuselage, main canopy covers with us. Just, just for that extra protection because the plane does leak a little bit in the rain. And... <laughs> Um, it, it, it just just as you know, and but then the the main the main one we we put our our clothes in, but all I can take is a carrier bag really with with clothes in. We, we, so we the relate, lightest. We relate a story that we were invited by a couple to accompany them in a four-seater version of the Canard aeroplane called a Defiant. Defiant is much bigger, obviously, four-seater, but it also has an engine at the front as well as an engine at the back. Uh -huh. And they said to us, would you come to the Bahamas with us? So we said, yes, well, we could do that. Not in our aeroplane, we were travelling with them. And we turn up with two carrier bags, one each, and they had wheelie bags, they had an <laughs> ice uh, um, a ice freezer box, ice box, box for food they had probably a case of beer, beer. and we, and we're thinking and we have two carrier bags <laughs> and this was the difference between their aeroplane which is very much a station wagon and this which is more like a two-seater sports car with absolutely no room at all <laughs> but you love flying it though it's fast it has its drawbacks it lands fast it needs longer runways than the rvs uh, but the reason why I built it in the first place, to me, it doesn't look like any other aeroplane out there. And it has helped us on our trip. Yeah. We, we've been to airfields, we've packed up the aeroplane, it's as it stands now on its nose, with its covers on, and we'd go off to the terminal, and we'd turn back, and there would be a group of people having their photographs taken around it. Yeah, it's probably it, thinking, what on <laughs> earth is this? Yeah. And it has broken barriers down when there's been a language issue, mm. a technical issue, mm. a, a paperwork issue. People just... We were in... Uh, between Thailand and um, Malaysia. The island of... Phuket, was it? Or? No, it wasn't. It, um... You know where I mean, Phuket, it, it's that area anyway. You'll yeah. edit it, this out. Um, you'll look at the island and you'll tell me. <laughs> and we, we arrived there and we got through the terminal the wrong way, but we got oh, to the yeah. customs hall and we went into the customs official's office. And he said, well, I have to see this airplane. And he said, I need to inspect it. 
So we went to the aeroplane and all he wanted was his photograph oh, taken with it. Oh, wow. But we actually came through okay. the... Um, we came out okay. the... Penang. The Penang. Penang. Yes. We'd followed the sea. The door was open and it shouldn't have been because it was from... Um, land side land to side, air side. Uh, and we air were going side, air side to land side. side. And we ended up the wrong side of customs. Oh. How the on earth did you get... <laughs> get here well we, we just came through the corridor the door was open where there the sea was and we just came through ah oh, it shouldn't have been open you should have gone a bit further round and gone in another door but it never became an issue no. which i think is testament to this aeroplane it, it has that influence on people yes. i have to ask myself this is purely just for my own interest because malta is a very special place for me you've flown into malta with this um how was that <laughs> it was it was interesting when we landed and, we're, and we're, we parked right at the very end where some of the um big maintenance maintenance hangers, hangers okay, were yeah. the there's, there's a there's a, a um um an apron there and as we were going down the runway dogs were going across in front of us <laughs> across the runway in front of us the, the other thing that happened was that this big 40 45 46 seater bus came to collect the two of us <laughs> to take us to the terminal that's malta that's yes. malta and obviously we were going to pay for it no they were delightful uh, yeah, and it was beautiful to fly there um, it wasn't an issue we had got in contact with the aero club who are just in the kind of the southeast corner of the airfield and we didn't see how to get to them mm. but uh, but they were helpful in making sure that we didn't have any issues yes. so it we've done a little bit of research every time we've gone anywhere we normally get in contact with flying clubs so for example you know like like seething mm. you just either phone them up or email them you say we want to come we want to maybe stay for a couple of days a couple of nights how do we do it? Is there anything we should do special? What can you can you help us? And we found most places around the world will do that for you. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. So kind of wrap up, but what are the plans for the future? What have you got any big plans kind of on, on the uh, on the burner ready to go? Well, we still have the the, the small issue of, of not actually completing a circumnavigation. But of course and Russia, we cannot do it without going into Russia, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, unfortunately, sadly. We, we've looked at ways. My initial f- thought was that we could do the Aleutian chain of islands to the western end, and then drop down to the Kamchatsky Peninsula. It's Russia, but obviously, it's not relatively that far to japan even so on this aeroplane it would be about a 10 to 12 hour flight and we just don't have the range so without russia as linda said we can't do it so i think we will do more european traveling there's a lot of europe i'd like to go we'd both like to go to kind of north cape um, norway and finland Um, i think that would be a really good thing to do we prefer actually colder countries to hotter countries but I don't know why that would be. Well, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's more of an issue with, with being hot and high and you know, being able to get fuel. And we were taking off, was it from um, Libya? Uh, no. Is it Libya? Dubai? No, no, where we'd, we'd stopped. Was oh, it Saudi? Riyadh in Riyadh, Saudi. Riyadh, 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 Riyadh in Saudi. Riyadh, yes, not Libya, sorry. Riyadh. And 
they wanted us at a certain height by a, a certain time for leaving. And the Patrick was saying, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> but we just, because it was so hot and, and there was high taking off, it just took a long time oh, to be God. able to build up the, the speed to get up yeah. there. Having said that, we went to Arequipa in Peru and it's quite high. I think the elevation is eight eight four or something like that. And it was it was a warm day. Uh, and I have to say, the aeroplane just performed magnificently. It it never was an issue. We we have the bigger, uh, as I say, the O three twenty engine, one hundred and sixty horse. We have a good propeller, and it the the aeroplane performed magnificently. It, it was never an issue. So um, it's looked after as well. Yes, yes, our, our guardian angels have looked after us. <laughs> so we always ask. Um, everyone we talk to on the show a question oh it's a kind of put you on the spot question um obviously you're not a pilot linda but you do have you have lots of knowledge of aircraft um and it's a question about if given the chance to fly any aircraft whether it be ga commercial military anything retired still flying and you were you were given the option or the chance to go and hop in that on that on, on that cockpit mm. and fly that aircraft spitfire <laughs> There we go. <laughs> nice and easy. <laughs> and think. Patrick, same same for you. Linda kindly, for a special birthday, did get me a, a flight in the two-seater out of Duxford, which I have to say was delightful. Made more so that uh, the the pilot in the front seat was XBA triple seven, who <laughs> who I knew. So so that made it like a, a boys' day out, which possibly made it a bit more special than. It might have been for maybe a non-flyer, so so that was fun. Uh, any aeroplane? Anything you like. Really? It could be anything. Um, any aeroplane. Um, gosh, it, it is an on-the-spot question. <laughs> it, it, if I think I would say Spaceship One. Really? That, that's one we haven't had before. We, we've been very fortunate to meet and chat in a social situation, Mike Melville. Okay. Mike and Sally are two of the most delightful people in the I'm world. I'm assuming they're lovely, really nice. Um, mm. I'm, I'm sure you know Mike Mill, Phil's history. He and Sally, South African, came to the UK. They eloped. They got married here, went to America. He, Mike had built the first Very Vegan. They went and kind of camped on Bert Rutan's doorstep and, and he gave them a job and the rest is history his flight his last flight in spaceship one caught screwing up to 350 odd thousand feet or whatever it was just has to be the most amazing flight that i think any pilot has flown actually handled and i think he's he's to be commended as possibly the best pilot ever in the world but mm. to have been alongside him on that flight would have been just something. So I would like to, I, I put me down for Spaceship One. OK, well, we'll, we'll try and arrange that. We'll try and get that sorted out for you. A, a few quid, a few pounds. Yeah, just, yeah. just a few, yes. I have a feeling it's in the Smithsonian Museum now, so it's unlikely to happen, but it would be yes, great. It would be lovely. Excellent. Well, Patrick, Linda, thank you very much for taking time out of your day here at Seething today to talk yeah. to us. It has been absolutely fascinating, and honestly, the listeners will love this. So we thank wish you us. all the best thank you. for thank the you future. Thank you. And lots of clear skies Thanks. and tailwinds. 
And, uh, especially tailwinds. So especially we, love, tailwinds. we love tailwinds. <laughs> and all the very best, like I said, for the future. Take Thank care. you very much. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Bye. Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklyn's aircraft factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren automotive cars, the Brooklyn's Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to www www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932 857 381 that's 01932 857 381 what a seriously great uh, set of interviews that was. And, and uh, <laughs> the, the, sp- the, the Space One, I think, uh, the, the, that's mm. genuinely not one we've heard before. Is The Spitfire's oh. a, po- a popular choice, I know. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, no, I, I, think, um, I think it was Richard in the chat room was saying that, that uh, yeah, the couple are even more interesting than their aircraft. And their <laughs> aircraft is a really bizarre... <laughs> I mean, that long EZ is a very strange thing, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, uh, no, I mean, what, what, what a... What a tale of mm. uh, uh of what they've been through um and with all the weather and operational difficulties and all the rest of it but yeah. uh they're what fascinating folks to talk yeah. to and thanks ever much for as much for uh dan at uh, seething for mm. setting that interview up for us as well it was it was great yeah. and we've been delighted to bring that to you so that's uh, that was part three the final part mm. of our chat with patrick and linda indeed so Next up, are you ready, Nev? It can only mean one thing, can't you? This is a bit, a bit of the show I've really been looking forward to. <laughs> it's the military. Watch out, buggies! One three five fifty angels sixteen heading three four zero. Okay. This military story is from military.com, and I was actually a little bit surprised at how much coverage this received in the national media. But the Army has grounded its entire fleet of uh, Chinook helicopters while it works to fix some fuel leaks that have caused an unspecified number of engine fires. That's according to an Army statement. They said that they were grounding its entire fleet of about 400 aircraft out of an abundance of caution stressing that no deaths or injuries have resulted from these fires. A spokesperson recently said that the Army has identified the root cause of the fuel leaks that caused this uh, small number of engine fires among an isolated number of H-47 helicopters, and they are currently implementing some corrective measures to resolve the issues. Obviously, the safety of their soldiers is the Army's top priority, and they are going to ensure that the aircraft remains safe and airworthy. Now, the statement did not provide any details on the repair timelines, nor what operations or trainings could be affected by the grounding. Uh, but, you know, as you can imagine, an entire fleet of helicopters is going to uh, really set back some of these required training events and even some potential operations uh, downrange. The statement did suggest that some of the Chinooks could be back in the air pretty shortly. About 70 helicopters are believed to have this faulty part 
that had been connected to this problem. Uh, now, the Chinook, as you guys know, has been a staple of Army aviation since its introduction about 60 years ago. This uh, airplane has been carrying troops and cargo on battlefields from Vietnam to Afghanistan, Iraq, Middle East, Africa, pretty much everywhere. Now, the current model, the uh, CH-47F, is the Army's only heavy-lift cargo helicopter to support combat and other critical operations. Um, the issue that prompted the grounding actually stems from an engine part known as just an O-ring. Uh, that's according to a statement from Honeywell International, which actually makes the engines for the Chinook. The O-rings are used to create seals between engine parts to prevent leaks. So while investigating some of these incidents involving the Chinooks, Honeywell and the Army discovered that these O-rings were not meeting Honeywell design specifications and were installed in the engines during routine maintenance according to the contractor. Now, the faulty O-rings aren't made by Honeywell, but they are being addressed by that company. Uh, and of course, they're, they're working diligently with the Army to provide replacement O-rings on all of the affected uh, Chinooks. Now, of course, this, the grounding of the Chinook fleet is the latest in a string of major aircraft issues with the military. Earlier this month, we talked about Air Force Special Operations Command grounding its entire fleet of CB-22 Ospreys uh, over an issue with the clutch. Uh, the Marine Corps, of course, continued to fly these, and uh, and there's also been the the big ejection seat issue that affected uh, the Air Force and Navy, the Marine Corps, as well as uh, all the F-35s and and uh, F-18s that are operated by our partner nations. So, um, you know, in one way, it's it's sad to hear that aircraft are being grounded, but on the other hand, it's great that the maintenance procedures are thorough enough that they are discovering these issues. Uh, without anybody getting hurt. Um, so we'll uh, we'll look to see uh, in the next couple of weeks what happens with the Chinook fleet. So, I mean, I'd love to say that I completely understood everything that Armando was saying in that particular story. Uh, I've heard of the word Chinook, uh, <laughs> and it's a fascinating aircraft. And essentially what I'm going to do now is refer to Jonathan Warner for a full explanation, because... Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, not really. Well, the the thing that interested me at the beginning of all that was when he was talking about uh, his ten and a half hour flight. Okay. Now I'm not sure <laughs> that I could last that long, to be honest with you, without yes. a comfort break of some sort. Right. Yes. Do, do, well, I mean, there is a chance, perhaps, that you know there was a receptacle on board. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So yeah, sort of go, going back to this particular uh, this particular aircraft, though. I mean, it's uh, as you say, it's uh, it's more stories of stuff being grounded, isn't it? Which is is not really uh, what we want to to hear. No, you know, especially yeah. when there's fire risks and <clears throat> things involved. It's uh, you know uh, fixing fuel. I mean, you don't want a fuel. F you you don't need a fuel leak in flight, do you? That's, no, that's no, the <laughs> Suboptimal. Suboptimal, <laughs> indeed. Yes. Uh, yes. So, so we're uh, going uh, down under for the next story, aren't we? We are indeed. Yes, absolutely. Yes. We're off to talk uh, British jets uh, with a massive combat exercise in the works. This next military story was actually sent in by listener David Kay and is from the UK Defence Journal. Org. Uh, Royal Air Force Typhoon fighter jets and the Voyager air-to-air -air refueling tanker are taking part in a major Australian air exercise for the first time. Hosted by the Royal Australian Air Force, this exercise named Pitch Black will see up to 100 aircraft and around 2,500 personnel from 17 nations training together for about three weeks. 
The exercise is being conducted primarily from RAAF bases in Darwin and Tyndall in the Australian Northern Territory. According to Air Vice Marshal Phil Robinson, the Air, Command, uh, Air Officer Commanding Number 11 Group, he was uh, quoted as saying, an event such as pitch black is extremely important to the RAF as it tests the ability to deploy air power at speed to any part of the world in addition to the valuable training opportunity with key partners and allies. The UK's participation in such a significant air exercise in the Indo-Pacific highlights the, important, the importance placed on the region. The complexity of this aircraft has also given the planning staff at 11 Group together with RAF personnel at various embassies and high commissions, the opportunity to demonstrate the RAF's ability to project and deliver combat air power in the Indo-Pacific. Now, the UK's contribution to exercise Pitch Black is designed to be a tangible demonstration of UK air power and highlights the UK's ability to deploy rapidly at a long range, uh, according to the RAF. Uh, they said in another statement, it also illustrates the UK's desire to build professionalism and enhance international military relationships for the safe and effective conduct of air operations with regional and partner nations. Uh, participation in such exercises support the UK government's identification of the Indo-Pacific region as being critical to the UK's economy, security, and global ambition to support open societies. The RAF's participation, therefore, is designed to deepen defense engagement in the region in support of this shared prosperity and regional stability. Now, uh, the first week of this exercise comprised of uh, fighter integration training designed to improve the word we all love, interoperability, ahead of some more complex and collaborative training uh, in the second week. Now, through the, throughout the exercise, the Voyager will refuel fast jets from other participating nations. And then once the exercise concludes, the RAF contingent will be returning to the UK via India, where during a short uh, stopover, it's planned to conduct a brief period of bilateral training with the Indian Air Force. In this air exercise in Australia, uh, some of the participants are, are the UK, Indonesia, India, Singapore, Japan, the Republic of Korea, Philippines, Thailand, UAE, Canada, Netherlands, Malaysia, New Zealand, France, Germany, and the US. As I always say, it's very important for uh, partner nations to, to do these exercises uh, as evidence in the conflict in uh, Eastern Europe right now. It's very important for air forces and militaries to be able to work together when, uh, when brought together in a very rapid timeline. So these exercises are critical to, to sharing those tactics, techniques, and procedures between the air forces and the military. So well, well done to the Australians for hosting this. Well done indeed. Going to be yeah. uh, an interesting exercise, isn't it? it looks like looks. Uh, I I do love these uh, these sort of multi-force collaborations. I think they're a a really good. You know, I mean, let's hope they never have to be put to test. Of course, mm. but uh, yeah, these, these no. Are I think it's always good when. I mean, I remember Nick saying his time at the uh, RWF down mm. under as well uh, it was really interesting to be working with those guys and girls uh, too so uh, indeed yeah no it's really, really interesting yeah mm, indeed uh, now we're off to uh, we're off to talk about uh, helicopters with the next one and uh, boeing delivering something to the u.s air force as i was talking about last week it's kind of fun to think that we've we've been on the show long enough that some of the stories we talked about a couple years ago in a in a conceptual manner 
are now actually coming to fruition, you know, with the government and defense acquisitions process. But this next military story is from avweb.com. Boeing and Leonardo have delivered the first four MH-139 Gray Wolf twin-engine helicopters to the U.S. Air Force. The four test aircraft are part of a $2.4 billion contract awarded to Boeing in September of 2018, which we talked about on the show for up to 80 helicopters, training systems, and associated support equipment. Uh, The aircraft are intended to replace the Air Force's fleet of aging uh, UH-1 Hueys, which is unbelievable that they're still in service. Uh, Leonardo Helicopters uh, U.S. CEO Clyde Woltman said that they are thrilled that the first four MH-139s have been accepted by the U.S. Air Force. This aircraft is well positioned to become an important asset in the defense and security of the United States. Uh, I especially want to thank the combined program teams at Leonardo and Boeing, whose tireless work and ingenuity made this possible. Based on Leonardo's AW-139, the MH-139A is a multi-role helicopter designed for missions including protecting international or intercontinental ballistic missiles and transporting U.S. government officials and security forces. Uh, This aircraft is being produced at Leonardo's facility in Philadelphia. Uh, Boeing is responsible for military equipment procurement and installation along with the post- delivery support of the models. Um, this is pretty interesting. I, like I said, I can't believe that the MH1 or the UH-1 Huey is still in service. Um, that airplane has been uh, shuttling people out to the missile sites in the middle of the, of the country for years and years now. And uh, it's uh, pretty cool to see this new helicopter, this new next generation helicopter kind of replace that. See, now, Mr. Warner, who me and Mr. Warner play a game uh, when these are on, you see. And when he's listening to the military, the game is that Mr. Warner sends me a photograph of said uh, aircraft or, or that's being spoken about uh, when, when, it's, uh, when it's been done. But unfortunately, I didn't get that one, Jonathan, until it was like 13 seconds before the end. So I'm afraid uh, even I can't get it up, get it into the system that fast. But uh, there we go. I do love a little game. Uh, no, it's good. I mean, uh, and. <laughs> Talking of little games, uh, the next story is going is a mystery to uh, all of us. Matt and myself. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to hand straight over to Armando for it. Now, this last military story is from thedrive.com. Barksdale Air Force Base announced that the B-52 Stratofortress took on a particularly interesting role during a recent exercise. Four of the bombers were equipped with a relatively sizable cargo container tailored to fit in the bomb bay in order to test the U.S. Air Force's rapid deployment concepts. The demonstration could signal a possible decrease in the logistical footprint for future operational bomber deployments. So according to a statement released by Barksdale, uh, they explained that the four B-52s involved in the exercise belonged to the base's second bomb wing. The fleet later deployed north to Fairchild Air Force Base in Washington, Uh, between August 16th and 19th to carry out some exercises pertaining to the Agile Combat Employment Mission, or the ACE. Generally, ACE missions are centered around practicing unpredictable distributed operations from austere locations. Uh, That's to increase survivability and better generate combat combat power from forward areas. Uh, ACE-affiliated exercises, which we've talked about on the show a couple times, are meant to aid in establishing these uh, techniques that would allow the Air Force to operate in a more flexible and 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 uh, sort of wily manner through the utilization of more austere and remote facilities and, and using small logistical footprints. That aspect 
especially underscores the importance of the B-52 demonstration as hauling cargo is often a prevalent supporting factor for uh, any ACE operation, really any deployment. Now, when I was in the military, um, it was it was always pretty impressive in order to get, you know, four C-130s or four CV-22s uh, down the line to an op- a forward operating base. It usually took some kind of either a C-17 to do the cargo airlift for, you know, all the maintenance equipment, all the uh, personnel, the living equipment that we were going to need for however long we were going to be there. Um, so having this this ability to to sort of strap on some containers into into the Bombay of some B-52s and having them almost self-deploy um, where the only thing that needs to meet them is, is maybe the ammunition that they're going to carry uh, is, is a pretty significant leap forward. Um, now, this, this recent test mission us- utilized the four bombers um, predominantly to explore this, this sort of innovative cargo operation, uh, as well as demonstrating uncommon methods of, of delivering this maintenance support, which, as you can imagine, on a B-52 is, uh, is pretty significant, you know, keeping these airplanes in the air with all the, the crew chiefs and then, and then the specialized systems um, systems and technicians that actually have to go along with, uh, with the aircraft for some, some of these forward operating locations. Um, now, the Air Force describes this uh, cargo t- container as designed to connect to the hard points inside the bomb bay of the B-52. Um, each aircraft is, is ca- uh, capable of carrying two of the containers, one in each bomb bay, uh, both of which can ho- hold up to 5,000 uh, 5, pounds of maintenance and support equipment, uh, providing uh, obviously a single B-52 with the airlift capability of about about 10,000 pounds total cargo. So pretty cool here, and it's uh, it's fun to see uh, the innovation, the continued innovation. You know, as, as you guys look back, uh, anybody looks back in history, and you can see the way that aircraft have been adapted or readapted from their originally and uh, intended purposes or design purposes to, to some some different mission sets. It's always fun to see that you know all the way back to the beginnings of aviation how how aircraft are are modified, um, but but more so the the innovation and, and ingenuity of the of the people that work on these aircraft. Uh, it's pretty cool to see that um, kind of come to fruition. Now, this is one of the things with the. I mean, it's an iconic aircraft, full stop. Anyway, isn't it the B fifty two? But as as Armando's alluding to there, I mean, it, the various um, configurations, connotations of this this outstanding aircraft. Uh, as you say, it's like it's it's almost like a a sort of time capsule, isn't it? As it works its way through, and then yeah, it's, I mean, you know, adaptability is the name of the game, isn't it? In in the cargo and military world, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, how old is the fifty two? I mean, it's been in the air a long time, hasn't it? It's been since, like I want to say sixties. Mm. You know, it's been flying for a long old time. Somebody in the chat room will know the answer to that. I have yeah. no doubt, but it, it's been in the air a long old time, as you say, and it's yeah. and it's continuously. Uh, evolving into this uh, you know sort of still still relevant even now mm. still relevant yep. even now absolutely uh, well the final um, um, story in this section is on the warbirdsnews.com um, and it says the de Havilland Moth Club held a flying event at a historic airfield in Bicester on Thursday August the 18th 2022 
just the other day. It was a great success with around 50 aircraft, mostly de Havilland in origin, attending with the majority of these being DH-82 Tiger Moths. Well, Bicester is a small rural town just north of Oxford, and in fact, about a 25-minute drive from where I live, actually, in the south of England. Uh, the earliest recorded flight here dates back to 1911, when a Bristol box kite stuttered into the skies from a farmer's field. Uh, by 1916, however, the Royal Flying Corps had established an aerodrome nearby, but this soon became RAF Bicester, <clears throat> excuse me, following the RFC's merger with the Royal Naval Air Service on April the 1st, 1918. Developed into a bomber station in 1925, RAF Bicester underwent further expansion in 1936. By the eve of World War II, RAF Bicester served in a bomber training role, although this also included glider training once the build-up for D-Day began. The August flying was a wonderfully relaxed event. The Tiger 9 team performed a flyover appropriately with nine Tiger Moths. And there was a fair bit of ad hoc local flying, especially from a locally based joyriding business which operates Tiger Moths. Several more exotic de Havilland types were also on hand, of course, such as the DH-83 Fox Moth, DH-80 Puss Moth, and the two DH-85 Leopard Moths, and several DH-87B Hornet Moths. Notable absences, however, included a lack of DH-60 Gypsy Moths, and the twin-engine de Havilland types, which was a little surprising as the airfield could have easily accommodated them. For many attendees, though, a highlight of the show included seeing the newly restored DH-82A Tiger Moth, uh, which was uh, Golf Bravo Tango Oscar Golf, formerly NM192, with the RAF. The aircraft now wears an authentic US Army Air Force's livery, depicting DE-745, one of the several Tiger Moths which the US military operated from UK bases during World War II. We're gr very grateful to Nigel Hitchman for this fascinating look at significant British uh, vintage aviation flying the other week, and uh, one with substantial connections to World War two as well so uh, yeah that's so that's just up the road from me it's about 25 minute drive uh, from here and it did place a significant role in the second world war as we said the uh, the bristol blenheim that is such a an a unique looking aircraft isn't it mm. yeah such a such absolutely. a I, I love i love stuff like that it's yep. uh, it's really really good i'm just i'm just having a thumb through some of the pictures on on their website actually mm. uh, some great pictures there that's the tiger nine formation isn't it yeah. indeed yeah, yeah absolutely yeah great stuff yeah. well i think that's i think you did all right there yes. Nev. that's the military done that weren't that weren't too bad was it no, i think we got away with that <laughs> Yeah, absolutely uh, now we, we were um uh, i was sort of looking through the, the notes and stuff for next week and i've got down in my diary here that you and carlos uh, are not available for that but you were saying there might be a chance you could still well, join us I, I think as long as the uh you know with a sufficient tailwind and, the, and good bit of traffic <laughs> we, we might be okay so let's tell you what's happening next mm. week um it's the jersey international air display uh, in Jersey on Thursday afternoon of next week uh, and Carlos and I are flying out there on Wednesday uh, there is a reception on the um, Wednesday evening at six o'clock not just for us I don't think but for the uh, the rest of the participants as well so that'll be great so we're going to do some filming there and then we're going to be filming the air display itself 
which starts uh, just after lunch on the Thursday and finishes just before dinner time uh, on the Thursday evening. Then we're flying back quite early on um, Friday morning back to Heathrow. So all being well, uh, I think we should be able to do the show. Uh, oh, there we are. Friday. Uh, my only slight problem at the moment is <laughs> the weather, as I may have yes. mentioned before the show started. Mm. Uh, the current forecast is uh, thundery showers and moderate winds. And this right. is... Uh, that's not a good air. Um, I can say that doesn't sound very. I can say that doesn't sound very conducive to to. Uh, as I say, it's what was it I was saying earlier? It's like you know, low cloud and, and winds and are not an air show's friend. No. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to have to see how we get on with that. And I mean, if the worst comes to the worst, it'll just be uh, Carlos and me in the Premier Inn in Australia talking to each other, <laughs> playing cards, and, and saying yeah. how nice the bacon. <laughs> Bacon rolls are, yeah, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> so. indeed. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. I'm, I'm sure, as you say, because uh, I mean, that's one of the. I think you were sort of saying things, that, you know, that not the static displays and stuff there uh, this time round, unfortunately. So, as I say, for, uh, sort of p- pinning all hopes on on a, on a flying display, essentially. I'm hoping so. so um, let's see how we get on with some interviews. It's um, yeah, we've, we've had been in conversation with the organisers a couple of times in the last. Yeah fortnight or so so let, let's see how we get on and we shall bring you some content of some description excellent can't wait it's going to be fun if nothing else it'll be nice to go to jersey for a few days it's a lovely so. part of the world indeed so that's pretty much where we bring the show to a close yes i know we've we've survived nev this is this is this is half the battle isn't it we should have mentioned actually that uh, carlos is on his little little break this weekend, i know up in North Norfolk, i know so. he's away he's away with yeah. with uh, mrs carlos yeah, uh, the lovely Gemma, long surfing. Yeah, they're off. To, yeah, off to the 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 glorious world of North Norfolk, as I think we were saying at the top of the show. But uh, yeah, gonna be uh, gonna be fun. As I say, looking forward to the uh, the show next week if you can make it. Yeah. Uh, let's whiz through some social medias then, if we may, to get us in touch with us via WhatsApp. All you have to do is open up the app and pop in the number plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four. 757 2249166 our social media links all you need to do is just pop yourselves onto either facebook twitter or uh, instagram search for plain talking uk you'll find our social links on there our website where you can do everything from buy mugs including military mugs uh, they will be available hopefully from uh, this evening onwards all being well oh. uh, I, absolutely yes I've had all the design and everything all pop through uh, producer John has to put that together for us but take yourself to the website plaintalkinguk.com on there are links to things like Patreon as well so you can contribute towards the show uh, perhaps uh, using our Patreon links or you can do your shopping through the Amazon link which is on the site as well that enables you to uh, cont- you know even if you're just buying yourself a lead you can use that uh, and and, or a memory card for your camera, Jonathan Warner, uh, so, so that you can uh, contribute towards the show without it actually physically costing you anything uh, as well. And, of course, the email. We'd love to hear from you. You can send anything into that, as indeed did Richard Adams and... Um, uh, a couple of other people this week as well. Uh, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And we'd love to hear some of your feedback. Uh, why not uh, record yourself a little voice note using your phone and send that to us either via the WhatsApp number or by email address. It is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. 
Now, uh, we might have had some uh, issues with a couple of uh, listeners that have mentioned it to us. They couldn't get hold of the last um, Yes, the last two now. Yes. So we've been fiddling with a few things and mm. sent quick support off to our uh, media hosting folks. Yes. See what they've got to say about it. And Indeed, then, uh, yes. Hopefully we'll get that fixed for yes, you. Yes, we've got a very unusual situation, essentially, where it, everything is showing on this end that it's been that uh, episode 423 and 424 have been published, but for reasons best only known to our service provider, they haven't arrived with everything from Spot. It's not just one provider, unfortunately. It appears to be all of them uh, where it's not available. If you download your podcast using an RSS feed, you should be unaffected by the hiccup. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you do use something like Podbean or uh, iTunes or or indeed Spotify. We are having problems for some reason that not being there. The YouTube version is there though. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're uh, inclined to listen and or watch from there, um, but uh, we are working very hard behind the scenes to get whatever that glitch is uh, sorted out as soon as possible. So uh, hopefully, it's, it's somebody else's fault. It's That's the, the important thing here. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We've done everything we can at this end, but for some reason, it's not appearing on our so you know on our various platforms. So uh, we're looking into that as we speak lovely and finally uh, just a very quick message uh, that's coming from alan loveday who says thanks guys for covering the heritage article about the cornwall museum it was great and hopefully will generate some interest and support yeah absolutely well, we're very happy to alan, alan and uh, as you all know we're very passionate about we are uh, aviation yeah. heritage in this country indeed and uh, who knows we may even give it another mention tomorrow in the in, next week in the hope that we can get uh, we'll see if we can get an answer to that because that's just going to be awful isn't it if that does yeah. happen yeah well Nev, i think it's time to say goodbye it is well thank you very much indeed to everybody that's been in the chat room tonight and for your contributions as ever uh, we'll be back uh, well the show will be back next week definitely at the usual yeah. time at 7 o'clock uh, whether Carlos and I will be here is yeah. up for question but it might just be me at this stage <laughs> we're, well I was going to say that's going to be an interesting couple of hours isn't it that's for sure yeah, um, yeah. I'll find something to talk about don't worry about that <laughs> <laughs> we are aiming to be back uh, yeah. anyway so let, let's see how we get on uh, reporting back from the Jersey display so thanks ever, ever so much for your company this evening and hope you have a great weekend bye for now Thank <laughs> you.